Hey, we're, we're continuing in Corinthians. Best chapter in the world, okay? We are dealing with Corinthians 13. I bet those of you who have attended at least 10 weddings can quote this passage, right? I mean, I was thinking, if this passage wasn't in the Bible, what would we read at weddings, right? And so I, I, as I was reading through this passage, I, I had this, this sense that years ago, there's a, I was raised in the Lutheran church, and there was a, a hermeneutic, a, a, a grid, would you say, that a brand of Lutheranism places on Scripture. And they, they talk about the ability to, to distinguish between law and gospel. So you read a portion of Scripture, and you go, is that, is that law, or is that gospel? Is that good news? And I was asking myself that question about Corinthians 13. Because when you and I read Corinthians 13, do we see our shoulds and our deficit, or do we see an amazing gift to all of us that love is described in such a powerful and selfless way? Isn't that interesting? Because I realize that sometimes when I read Corinthians 13, I feel like very inadequate, right? And at other times, I feel incredibly grateful. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the whole chapter to you in one sitting. <sighs> and then we're going to break it down into a couple parts, okay? It is so long, right? So long. Just kidding. If I speak in tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, or give my body over to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. For love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy, it does not boast. It's not proud, it does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there's prophecy, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there's knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now I see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Let's pray together. Lord, we know that your word is living and active. It's a word that can get inside of us. It's a word that humbles us, that transforms us. 
And so we ask that you would plant the seed of your word deep in our hearts, our minds, and our spirits, and that it would bear good fruit to eternal life. In Christ's name, amen? Amen. All right, here we go. Uh, first thing you got to get is motives matter. You know, if I speak in tongues of men and angels but do not have love, I'm a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. Uh, gongs were used in some of the pagan uh, worship. So we, some people wonder, is this a, sort of a, a, a tip to that in, in some ways? If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mystery and knowledge, I want you to know when you read this, this is not just like book knowledge. This is the kind of knowledge that the Corinthians were delighting in, this sort of spiritual knowledge, the words of knowledge. And so he says, if I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I'm nothing. I give all I possess. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, that I may boast, but do not have love, I am nothing. And I, and I just... When you, when you come to the base of people's motivation to give and sacrifice, in God's economy, motivations matter. So many times in our culture, people give to build a name for themselves. You know, I'm going to give to this library or give to this institution. I'm going to have a plaque that at least I'll re be remembered at least when somebody stops by and reads the plaque, right? I don't know if you've uh, thought about this, but uh, most of us, when we pass, uh, in two generations for sure, three, people won't be talking about us, right? Like, I know back to my great-grandpa, but I don't, I don't know beyond that. I don't know his name. I know he was in another country. I can't tell you anything about his life. I remember there was a guy, I, I, when I was in freshman English, I took a, a freshman English course from a, a Jewish professor who wore a yarmulke. And this guy could do stand-up comedy. He was hilarious. And, um, and, and I remember he, he, was, he was sort of catharting in this classroom because he went to a yard sale. He lived uh, like in Cleveland Heights or Shaker Heights. And um, here is this this very learned man, PhD'd, and, and they had a yard sale and they were selling these frames and he looked at the frames and there was his, that was his doctorate was in there. There was this reward. There was this, he goes, and they were going for 50 or 75 cents. He says, this man worked his whole life and they're selling it for the, for the frame. And I thought, yes. Yes. You see, we can achieve amazing things in our life. But the Bible's really clear. If it's, not, if it's not moved or motivated out of love, then the impact is just our glory and not God's glory. Does that make sense? The impact. And, and you know, I, I planted some churches in my life, and, and, um, and I, I had this metaphor years ago. I just felt like, I said, Lord, I said, I don't want it to be about my name. I said, I want to be like that stone that gets thrown in a pond. And the stone disappears, but the ripples go. So that there's an, the impact is what it's about, not about the person. That there could be a growing kingdom impact in our lives. You know, it's, it's a big deal. 
It's a big deal. And so when I ask you the question, uh, is, this, is this law or is it gospel? This one hits a little hard, doesn't it? It hits like, man, I, I don't think I do everything out of love. I think I do a lot of things out of self-interest. I, I remember years ago, I worked as a camp counselor for a camp with uh, handicapped kids, and I discovered something that just by serving, I got joy. And then I became conflicted in my motivations. Am I sacrificing because I get the buzz of joy afterwards? I mean, do I, can I even have pure motives? I'm giving sacrificially, but I'm getting a joy that goes along with it. God, I, I think at best, I have mixed motives. And I just had to toss it all to the God and say, okay, Lord, you, you know I'm just this broken human. I'm just going to keep doing what you want me to do. But that's the truth. That's the truth. Even at our best, we have mixed motives. Even at our best. But motives matter in God's economy. I mean, uh, I don't know how old you guys are. If you remember the song by Boston, More Than a Feeling. Yeah, thanks. I was, I was Googling that and a little bit more. Uh, but the Apostle Paul is, is basically giving a definition of love that is deeply, deeply more than a feeling. We're going to go back to this again. And it, and it says this. Love is patient. Love is... Can you guys read that on there? Try to read this with me. And, and if you close your eyes, because I know some of you can quote it, right? You might have it framed on your wall, right? Let's read it together. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Now, how many of you can do that? You know what helps me when I read this? You can put God in the first person. Have you ever done that? God is patient. God is kind. He does not envy. He does not boast. He is not proud. He does not dishonor others. He is not self-seeking. He's not easily angered. He keeps no record of wrongs. How many of you can think that? I mean, how many of you, when you go to God, you just feel like he's been keeping score? Come on. None of you? Some of you are like, man, I haven't had a quiet time in five days. I know when I said that, some of you are going like, yeah, it's been five years. And when you come to him, you, you feel like he's got this huge list of wrongs. And then don't go and study theology because you're going to learn all sorts of stuff about sin. Because when you study theology and you start to learn about sin, you realize that there are sins that you and I do that we don't even know of. There, there are sins that my sin is that I should have done something that I didn't do. And, and you're like, oh my gosh, I missed the mark. I don't measure up even in my best efforts. So God would have a, another secret list. Like all the stupid things we did that we didn't realize were sin. Do you realize that? 
when the Bible says love keeps no record of wrongs, and that when you come to God, He's like, come on, come on home. I'm not holding that against you. Come on home. This year, I really felt like God was calling people home. I'm not talking about dying. I'm talking about coming back to a fellowship, coming back to worship, coming back to a church home where you feel the sense of community, the sense of purpose. And I've been watching him call people back to himself. One of the ways I, I test this out, because when you put God in there, you hear the gospel, don't you? The other thing you can do is you can put your name in there. Dwight is patient. Dwight is kind. He does not envy. And when you put your name in there, then you really sense this distinction, like, oh my gosh, that's not always true of me. Right? I can keep a record of wrongs. How many of you married couples still remind your spouse of something they did years ago? Right? Yeah. How many of you, when it came to eating the last brownie, you thought nothing of it? You know? It's like, it's like, <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, you just like, it's, I'm not self-seeking. Give me that last brownie. Right? My wife, did you finish the leftovers? Mm-hmm. I wanted some. Mm-hmm. Could you have told me ahead of time? You know, and, and we all have these justifications, don't we? When we don't act lovingly, then immediately we're going to make something up that says, well, why didn't you tell me? And, of course, how many of you have a spouse that says, why didn't you ask? Been there before? I, I'm so grateful that this definition of love is in the scriptures. Because it shows us perfection and perfect love. You know, John Wesley, the great reformer, started the whole Methodist movement. He, he had a theological view where he believed after you become a Christian, you have a second subsequent experience that And some people use uh, that kind of theology to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and these kinds of things. After you become a Christian, you can have a baptism. But Wesley believed that there, for certain saints, there was a second experience. And you know what he called it? He called it being perfected in love. And, but he never felt like he got there. But he, but he felt like it was possible for some. And... and I just want you to know, I don't think there's a second subsequent experience. I think you and I, throughout our whole life, every day we wake up, something's going to happen in your life, and you're going to have to say, you know what, I'm going to hold that against this person, or I'm not going to hold that against this person. I'm going to act in a way of self-interest, or I'm going to act in a way that I'm going to give to others. I'm going to choose to be kind. I'm going to choose to be patient. I'm going to choose not to envy when I see other people have things that I don't have. I'm going to boast in other people rather than boast in myself. And when I read the news, and I'm going to grieve at the evil in the world, and I'm going to pray for it. 
And I'm going to choose to protect and care for other people. And you know what? Just honestly, that doesn't always come natural, does it? It doesn't. And we'll talk a little bit more about that just in a minute. I love this part where the Apostle Paul gets in here. And, he, and so what's happening with the Corinthians, okay? The Corinthians are tongue talkers. They believe, and some people speculate, that they believe when they talk in tongues, they're talking the language of angels. They believe they're at a higher spiritual platform than other people. And that somehow they've arrived and others haven't. And the Apostle Paul is sort of setting them straight because if you notice what's happening in chapter 12, he's dealing with spiritual gifts. In chapter 14, he's dealing with spiritual gifts and tongues and the worship of the community. And right in the middle, he sets apart a definition of love because they're missing the point in how they use spiritual gifts. And so he, he, he says this. He says, okay, guys, but where there's prophecy, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge. And this is not just book knowledge. Again, this is the kind of knowledge when you get into the Greek that they're talking about the spiritual knowledge, words of knowledge. It will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes... What is in part disappears. The completeness is not what some people tell you that it's, it's the Bible. The completeness is when Christ comes again. I was reading a commentary by Gordon Fee. Gordon Fee has passed away now, but he was, he was one of the best uh, scholars. He was in uh, the assembly. He was part of the Assembly of God, and he's, he's written a phenomenal commentary on the book of Corinthians. And, and, and one of the things he said in the end, he said, it's so sad that a huge part of the body of Christ believes that the gifts that the Apostle Paul is still arguing for that are given for the building up of the body have passed away. It's, it's almost as if they think, oh, the perfection has come. He says, and they're not using the gifts. They're not using the gifts. Then Paul goes on and says, when I was a child, talked like a child, thought like a child, reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put childhood behind me. And now we see only reflection is in a mirror. And they would believe it's bronze. Uh, the Corinthians were known for making bronze mirrors. And so they, would, they were like, hey, you, you, what you see in the mirror is, is just an image of yourself. It's not really yourself. And they, it's almost as if they, today we would say, hey, I look at this picture. And is that picture you? No, it's a picture of me. He goes, and then we shall see face to face. We will see God face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall be fully known even as I'm fully known. And, and, and what he's saying is he's saying to the Corinthians, the gifts of God that he's given you for building up of the body will not be eternal. You don't need those in eternity. You don't need those when Christ comes again. They are given to the church for the building up of the body now. He says, but you have something that's deep, that's rich, that's life-changing. And that's love. And that is now and in eternity. And you and I have all sorts of convictions and experiences. Hurts, habits, hang-ups, frustrations, disappointments. And I'm going to tell you, 
Every one of those, I believe, is, to, is, is where God is just sort of chiseling away at our heart. Because I think at the core, when you read about love, that love is a choice. Love is a choice. It, it's, it's, a, it's a choice we make to act as Christ acts towards us. When I would do premarital counseling, I would say to them, look, you can describe love as a feeling, but your feelings are going to come and go. But if you describe love as a commitment and a choice that you make, then you can say, I love my spouse because I've made this commitment and I want to act as Christ acts towards me. And that's not easy. When I, when I look at the ministry of Mutu and Kavita and the way they serve the poor and they serve, they, 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 I mean, they're serving uh, a ministry to prostitutes, they're serving the poor, they're serving kids, they're serving all these broken people. I said, they're showing love over and over and over. We recently had a, a woman who's been part of this church for many years pass away. Her name was Anne. And Anne drove into the mountains of, I think it was Tennessee, and rescued her grandkids and then kids that were with them that weren't even their grandkids. And she brought them back to Cleveland. And I'm trying to remember if it was a two or three bedroom house. Anybody remember? Three? And raised them in this little house and poured into their life and gave her life as their grandmother, even those that she wasn't biologically related to. She chose love. She chose love. Sometimes when I work with uh, people in broken relationships, and I've seen you know, spouses, some, sometimes it's the wife, sometimes it's the husband, and there's been unfaithfulness, and we, we start to talk about it. And, and, and then I ask, I ask them, do you want to work on this? Do you want to have this marriage? Because I, I've got this conviction, and it actually came while I was pastoring here. And, and, and uh, do you want to know how it came? I ended up getting to know some couples that would come to church, and they were older. They're passed away now, so I'm not gossiping about anybody. But as they would tell me their story, and you'd see them come to church, and they would dote over each other. I mean, they would be like, oh. And you'd be like, oh, my gosh, how they love one another. And then I find out there was infidelity in their story. I'm like, well, how the heck do they go from brokenness to this doting over each other with this love that you never knew there was that? They chose to love. They chose that relationship. They chose to not keep a record of wrongs. And they chose to heal and to forgive. I wasn't even their pastor during that time. But I got to see the fruit of the gospel worked out in a relationship. And I changed then. I, I tell people, look, even in the worst case scenario, it's better to fight for that relationship because the worst case scenario is for you and I. You and I have offended God. We have sinned against him. The Bible calls us idolaters and even adulterers. And you know what he did? While we were yet sinners, he died for us. Before we even ask for forgiveness, before we even, we even turn to him or look to him, 
He made a way that we could be reconciled. And, and let me tell you, church, the, the gospel is, is very clear on this. You know, John writes in uh, 1 John, one of the letters at the, towards the end of your Bible, he says this, Beloved, this is John 4, starting at verse 7. Let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves is born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation. That's a payment for our sin. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love others. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is made perfect. If you and I want to come close to Corinthians 13, you first have to learn to receive. Some of you maybe have never prayed to receive Christ. Maybe you're online, you're watching, and you've never turned your life over to him. First step is just saying, Lord, forgive me. I want you as my leader, my Lord, my Savior. The Bible says if you call upon the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. It's that simple. He will come in your life. And then for those of us who have prayed that prayer and been walking this walk, no good, very good, that we have to receive the grace and the forgiveness of God, that when we focus on the offense and we don't focus on us being the offender, then we get proud, we get arrogant, we build up walls. But when we see how much Christ has done for us, how much he's forgiven us, then we look to Jesus, we receive his grace, and we can then look to the offender, and we can give that grace out. Does that make sense? So you can't, if you're reading Corinthians 13 as a law, then you're never going to measure up. But if you're, re if you're reading it as one that you receive the amazing love so that then we can turn and give that out imperfectly as we do, both in the reception and in the giving, that is where the grace of God comes. And that's what abiding in him and walking with him is about. So at our core of our being, we choose love. Let's stand up and pray together. And let me just say one of the most beautiful parts of choosing love is that we come back to a table that reminds us over and over and over that Christ died for our sins. That he didn't just die for our sins, but he promises to meet us in the eating and the drinking and the bread and the wine. He, he is present with us. And so, Lord, we, we don't just want to be people that talk about love. We want to pray for the grace to be loving channels of your spirit. We want to pray a prayer like St. Francis prayed, Lord, make us an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us so love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, 
hope, where there is darkness, light, where there is sadness, joy. Oh, divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. It is in dying that we are born to eternal life. And so we, may we truly be vessels of your love today. Jesus. Jesus. For the Lord Jesus, in the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it and said, Take and eat that this is my body, which has been given for you. Do this and remember me. And in the same way, he took a cup and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Take and drink, and when you do this, remember me. For whenever we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim the very death of Jesus until he comes. And Lord, we thank you that we can come to this table. We unite with your very death, burial, and resurrection and celebrate your life to us. Amen.